Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All right. All right. So I am here with Joanna. Uh, Now, Joanna, I want to make sure I pronounce your last name right. Is it Belloc? Yes. Okay. Awesome. So (laughs) Joanna and I are here on the podcast today and she is coming to us from British Columbia, which is awesome. This is like the first time I've had someone from this region uh, of the world on the (laughs) podcast. So I'm psyched. And, um, and we're going to be chatting today, you know, for, for my listeners who have been listening to some of the episodes over the past few days. I'm actually releasing them now at a pretty good clip. Usually it's about once a week, but now we're doing like one every other day because I had a really good turnout with requests from folks in the Anatomy Facebook group saying, yeah, sure, I'd like to be on your podcast and I'll share a little little bit about where I'm at with my teaching. And um, I'm just so thankful to you for being willing to be on. I think, you know, sometimes we kind of feel like we're out there and we're the only ones dealing with certain things and we don't really have a way to chat with each other. So I love Mm. having teachers on the podcast to just talk about, Hey, here's what's going on in my teaching. And we can have a little conversation about it. I know people listening will be able to relate. So Joanna, is it Johanna or Johanna? Johanna. Johanna. So (laughs) tell us a little bit about, you have kind of an interesting story. So tell us a little bit about the studio and the martial arts and all of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, My husband and I have a martial arts studio um, in Langley where we live. And that was started by my husband about 10 years ago. And I got involved about eight years ago. And I started doing the marketing and a lot of sales stuff and whatnot. And then we grew and expanded. Um, We also, both of us sell real estate full-time, which is kind of what we call our day job. Yeah. And uh, the martial arts was what we called a hobby job until we kind of realized it was much more than a hobby and a rather large business. Especially Um, when you have a physical space. It's one thing to have like a side thing that's more virtual, but when you have an actual space... Exactly. So you actually have a location and you have customers and you have employees and like, this is, this is part of your life. This is a real job now. So that was kind of fun. 
Um, and and was that, of, that all ages martial arts? All yeah, we started at age five and up was what we describe it as. We tried doing smaller children, but they're just not really ready um, for the structure. <laughs> so I teach kids yoga, and I start with toddlers. I can't imagine them doing karate. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's just a little too much. Yeah. So and frustrating for our staff. We had a lot of staff burnout from that age group. So. Yeah. We just thought for longevity of everyone's life um, that we would skip over the toddlers and just start around kindergarten age. But um, we had a lot of our students um, request uh, yoga classes a few years ago. So we hired a yoga teacher to come in and teach, a, I don't know, two classes a week kind of thing. Um, and then we had an opportunity to move to a bigger location. And with that came the opportunity to have an actual space as a yoga studio, which was kind of exciting because we'd been doing yoga on our martial arts floors, you know, alongside the punching bags and the sweaty gear and all of that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, it was kind of exciting to think, oh, we can actually have a real yoga studio here. Um, so separate room in the physical space. Yeah. Yeah. A separate, completely physically different room, uh, different vibe, different feel. It has big windows. Um, it has a beautiful floor. It has very nice lighting, um, and totally not related to martial arts at all. So we, um, we started hiring a few more teachers and putting on a few more classes. And then it became apparent that with, as with martial artists that you know people get sick or somebody's kid is you know unwell or something and you need a sub or someone wants to have a vacation <laughs> those kind of things hmm. um, so it came to be that my husband and I decided that I should probably take the yoga teacher training so that I could be the sub which sounded a little easier than I thought it was going to be when I started the idea <laughs> So I found a school nearby here that did a 200-hour Yoga Alliance uh, teacher training. Okay. And I started class um, last. When was this? Like a year ago or two years ago? Um, I was. I started in January of this year. Okay. 2019, and I finished in June uh, of 2019. So I've been teaching since June, basically, end of May, early June, when I started our practicums and stuff. Um, and then I started teaching my own classes, which was kind of fun. So we had a few teacher changes um, that I wasn't expecting. Uh, some teachers took other jobs where they had more hours back to back to back in other studios, which I can completely understand that teaching two or three classes back to back without traveling is definitely, um, you know, a nice setup. But now we have uh, four teachers, including myself. And most of us teach two classes a week and mm -hmm. it's good. It's working out really, really well. So now, I was a little intimidated. Were you teaching martial arts as well? Or I don't teach martial arts. My husband is the um, head kickboxing instructor. Um, he's a, I think it's third degree black belt now in kickboxing. Okay. okay. I was just trying to get a sense of if you mm. had teaching experience with another modality you're saying the yoga teaching is the first time in the business you were teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the very first time. Um, and I was nervous about that because I didn't really consider myself like an accredited uh, teacher at yeah. first because you have no experience. 
which right, right. You know, kind of tough. And my husband is always very uh, encouraging with things. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. How can you say you don't have any teaching experience? What have you taught the kids over the years? And I went, oh, I guess I have taught them a lot of things. So it's not, you know, unfamiliar, really, if you think about it. To teach yeah, you mean, your, you mean your kids, not the kids in the studio? Not yeah, the yeah, teaching our own children. Yeah, you know, how to cook and bake and, you know, sure. try their shoes and, you know, so... If you think of it that you ha- you do have abilities that you've shared, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that kind of took the pressure off a little bit, you know. Um, thankfully, that was nice how he kind of reframed that for you, huh? Yeah, yeah, he's very positive that way. So um, it's nice because he always looks at things from a completely different perspective than me, and it yeah. makes me say, "Well, okay, I can't deny that that's true, really." <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. It's like, how am I going to use this though? Right. It's, exactly. it's almost like we all come to yoga teaching with another whole wealth of experience. And it's exactly. like, how can you harness that to use for your teaching? Especially when it's not like a literal translation, like it's not like you have taught yoga or even you have taught fitness. It's like, and I'm not saying you in particular, you know, when yeah. I talk to anybody, yeah. they, they also bring up the same issue. It's like, how can I channel what I know into this new expression of teaching. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you do that? Well, I think for the most part, I, um, I gave myself permission to make mistakes. Ah, because I don't think that anybody actually expects you to be perfect. I think it makes you a little bit more human. Uh huh. A little more approachable, maybe. Um, now, did you have that philosophy just in general in your life, or did you find that that was a philosophy you connected to once you started teaching yoga? I think it's something that I really embraced teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. I think um, that the, it could go the other way. Like so many people are really hard on themselves, and that's kind of the they need that reframing. It sounds yeah. like though you kind of found that compassionate approach towards yourself anyway. Yeah, I think I've been practicing being more compassionate with myself over maybe the last seven years or so. Um, You know, as moms, especially, we find that we're very um, tough on ourselves. You know, our kids are a general reflection of our abilities, I think, a lot of times. So, if you um, take pride in that, but also accept that, I mean, really nobody is perfect. There's no perfect teacher. Even if you've gone to what you thought was the most perfect and amazing class, if you ask the teacher, how do you feel about how it turned out? I mean, they'll probably tell you, oh, I said this wrong and I gave this, it was a mistake and I meant to say this and I really was planning on doing this and it just didn't turn out. I mean, right. So, I think right. to just give ourselves a little grace, you know? It's, yeah, uh, I can certainly say there are plenty of times, especially when I was newer, that I would be really down on myself as soon as I said that final ohm. And yeah. then as I was packing up, people were leaving saying, oh, I love that class. And I was just like in my head, like, how is that possible? Because their experience seemed to be so different from my experience. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the case in almost every time you're going to teach. I think your experience is going to be 
um, not the same. And I think that that's okay. I think it's okay if your students have a, a different experience. Yeah. Now, do you, um, this kind of dovetails really nicely with what you were saying earlier about when you talked to your husband and he was trying to get you to see that there are life experiences you have, especially teaching your kids that you mm -hmm. can use for teaching. This whole theme of being compassionate towards yourself and not being so hard on yourself in terms of evaluating your teaching. Yes. Were you finding that you were using that even in the context of how you viewed your students, like being compassionate towards them maybe? Yeah, I think it just takes the compassion level um, up. I think yeah. everybody, um, you know, we always say in yoga that there's no judgment, that there's, you know, everyone is welcome. There's no wrong yeah. way to do things. If it works for your body, then that's how you should do it. Um, so, so what if your teaching style is that you laugh and you're, you know, you say a few goofy things or the words come out wrong and you say, well, what I meant to say was this and everybody has a good giggle. Right. You know, I think it shows that, you know, in, in the society we have nowadays with social media and everything, uh, people are all about perfection. So what if we just show a little imperfection sometimes? Right. Maybe, right. maybe that gives someone else an opportunity to show a little imperfection and laugh at themselves. And yeah. Just, yeah. You know, like, let's not be so hard on ourselves or hard on everybody else too. It's mm -hmm. um, a little yeah, less. I love that theme. So let me circle back to something you said before in regards to, you didn't use the word imposter syndrome, but I'll just kind of call it that, this mm -hmm. feeling like, oh, now I'm done with my training and I'm gonna to begin to teach, but who am I to be teaching? Am I really experienced enough? Is that something that resonates with you that you felt? Yeah, I do. Um, the one thing, and I've said this to some other people too, um, that I feel about the 200 hour teacher training is that what it really taught me um, is that I really don't know that much about yoga. <laughs> There's so much more to learn. And I, um, I think that it's okay to sit back and say, huh, okay, I learned enough to know that I don't know everything. Right. Um, and then, I, you know, it would be obviously impossible to know everything until maybe I'm a hundred and something had I started when I was seven, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But I'm not. I'm almost 50. So, you know, the time it's going to take to learn everything that I'd like to know is probably, yeah. you know, not there. Yeah. yeah, I kind of um, I don't actually know who coined this, these phrases. It's kind of a learning continuum methodology mm -hmm. and it starts out with unconscious incompetence you don't know what you don't know and then you move yes. to conscious incompetence where you know what you don't know and then yes. i forget what the third phase is but the fourth phase is unconscious competence where you're so knowing what it is that mm -hmm. the information is just flowing through you with very little effort because it's just part yes. of your being and it was described in the context when i was reading about it um uh, in the context of how a pitcher throws a throws a ball a baseball yes. and this whole idea of training the pitcher training the pitcher and then finally the pitcher is not thinking about throwing the ball yeah he or she is just throwing the ball and right. there's just an unconscious competence around that skill mm -hmm. so Absolutely. when you hear that does that kind of 
when you said a couple seconds ago, I now realize all these things I don't know. But before you went to training, you didn't even know about these things you don't know. So you were kind of walking around like, yeah, I'm doing the yoga thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You, do. You, um, you think, oh, I'm going to go to the training and I'm going to be an expert when I'm finished. Yeah. And, um, and you come out of it going, oh my goodness, like there's no chance am I an expert. Um, right. So what do you do with that? Because then you said you started teaching and on top of it, you were teaching in your own business, which is, you know, a little bit of a different vibe than for a lot of teachers who then yeah. teach somebody else. So, I mean, you hired yourself basically. So, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of the pressure off, but um, I'm sure there are other things that make it different too, but just talk a little bit about how that was uh, for you, those first couple classes. Yeah, I was a little nervous because while, while I was taking the training, people, you know, would come up to me and say, when are you going to be finished? Because we really want to take your class. And I was like, what? Why? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> now, had they known you already? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, most of our uh, members at, at our martial arts studio, um, I've known them, some of them for, you know, seven, eight years a lot of them, some of them are uh, parents or uh, siblings of kids that our kids have gone to school with or are friends of other people we've known in our community. Um, a lot of our clientele is uh, police and military uh, first responders. Um, so very people you can, you know, respect for those positions. Um, so it's a little intimidating, I think, to walk into a class full of people who are extremely skilled at their own professions and jobs um, and be the beginner, you know, the beginner teacher, the new, the new kid on the block, so to speak. So um, yeah, it was a little intimidating. Yeah. So how did you, because there's a lot of different ways you can deal with that energy, that feeling, those mm -hmm. feelings. So yeah. how did you, how did you, manage that oh breathing always breathing I wrote in my class plans every third word was remember to breathe remember to breathe remember to breathe you were really talking to yourself I was but what was really funny was after about the sixth class or so I was I started I guess I said it out loud a lot of times um, telling the students to breathe and I was laughing at one day, two or three people after the same class said, you know, it's really great how often you tell us to breathe because I really find that I didn't notice how much I was holding my breath and I was trying not to laugh because, you know, it, essentially the cue was for me to remind yeah. me to breathe because... Yeah, you're like, if you only knew why I was saying that, that was actually me talking to myself. Well, and I did to one of my closer friends. I said, you know, that was supposed to be for me to remind yeah. myself to take a breath because, you know, moving and talking so much and trying to uh, breathe through it all and not be out of breath or winded um, was really important to me to seem uh, that on the outside, the exterior that I had my, you know, myself all together. And I thought that was pretty funny that they actually needed that cue and it turned out to be something that, you know, that was a benefit for everybody. Yeah, it does. Um, when you're describing it like that, it reminds me of that the teaching and the, the teacher and the student are kind of, you know, they say another saying is like two sides of the same hand. It's like yeah. you're 
teacher, but you're also the student. They're the student, but they're also the teacher. There's that beautiful interplay between you and the class where you're being of service. Yeah. And they're receiving what you're offering. And at the same time, you're gaining something from their presence as well. It's like this really mm -hmm. pretty, really pretty. Yeah. I was actually really surprised um, at how quickly some of the teachers that I've hired walk into class. They don't have a piece of paper. There's no class plan. Whatever they're doing is all in their heads. And I was surprised that even, I mean, it's November now, so it is a, uh, June, July, August, September, October. So, you know, five months of teaching. And I can feel like I still need a class plan. I still need a list of stuff to review. But I do find that uh, based on the students in my classes that sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't think everyone's feeling that we're going to be laying in, you know, pigeon for seven minutes today. I don't think that's in everyone's jam. So let's move on to something else or I can, you know, go with the flow a little bit easier, mm. even only after a few months. Yeah. So you're saying you, you're kind of trusting your instincts as a teacher mm -hmm. to change yeah. things on the fly and to kind of pull on your kind of perception of the situation to make a decision in the moment, even if yeah. it's not something you plan at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's okay to go off of the plan if it's working for everybody. Um, and I didn't think I would be doing that until maybe next year kind of yeah you know, it would take a lot more time yeah um, to get comfortable with that so and I only teach twice a week so it's not like you know after five months or so I was you know taught a hundred classes or something right. it's not that volume so um yeah and, right. and just, um, just letting yourself you know be yourself there's no I think being more um, natural and more honest with people and laughing, you know, if we're all in pigeon and I say, oh, darn, I forgot to look at the clock and see how long we've been laying here, you know, because <laughs> like, I was busy um, yeah. checking study. out everybody's, you know, position and then coming back into it and then forgetting to notice the time or whatnot. Right. Um, you know, I laugh about it. I'm like, so do you guys feel like you've been there long enough? You know, should we move on to the other side kind of thing? Or Yeah, um, that's, that's great. And I, I think that does, again, kind of highlight that sometimes it is kind of a weird dynamic as a teacher because you're just talking, but they're not talking back. So yeah. I think when you say something like that, it does kind of acknowledge that, hey, guys, even though I'm the only one talking, I'm, I'm welcoming your feedback here, even though you're not really mm. talking, I'm I'm going to say something that, you know, kind of implies that I kind of want you to say something back, even though you're not going to do it. I'm kind of putting it out there in, in kind of like the comic strip thing. There's like the little bubble there. Like, <laughs> do you think we've been here too long? And you might hear a couple people go, yeah, what, you know, I'm ready to move on. And it's kind of nice. It kind of creates that acknowledgement that you're not just up there going, do this, do this, do this. There is that feedback loop. Yeah, and I, I feel um, that it, it's something that works for me, and maybe yeah. it doesn't work when you have yes. a, a large class with 28 people or something. Um, our studio is, even though it's um, a dedicated studio, still only holds about 12 or 14 students at any time. Mm. So the, it's a little bit more intimate. 
Um, but you can actually, because I know most of these people already, um, you know, if it's a small group and, you know, you feel like you can chat amongst yourselves that everybody knows a little bit about everybody else, you know, you can talk about um, a little bit more personal things and ask them questions and kind of get a little bit more involved in their lives. Um, but maybe that doesn't work for everybody, but it does yeah. work for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I have, think when you said something about like being yourself, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't actually say authentic, but that was the sense I got. And that sounds like it's a big part of, you know, kind of, you have, a, it sounds like you have a good comfort level around connecting to that way of being. Yeah. Well, I probably talk a little bit too much. And that was probably one of the funniest feedbacks I got from my teacher trainers was they said, you're not going to know everybody in your class. So you shouldn't really engage that much with people. But it's so much a part of my personality that I'm not sure I could not do it. it yeah. Was, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of interesting feedback. I mean, I think from in my own kind of thought process. I think you want your teaching to be balanced between silence and speaking just mm -hmm. energetically and to give yeah. people their own individual moments to connect with their body. Mm -hmm. uh, although I do feel like obviously everybody's personality is different. There are plenty of people who have a high degree of comfort around approaching people yeah. uh, after class, before class. Hey, how's your practice going? Hey, or after class, Hey, what'd you think of that? Or how are you feeling? And other teachers, you know, maybe have a little bit more of just like a close to the bestness to them, or maybe they don't 100% feel comfortable with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really up to your own comfort level. And I think most people within reason know when they're kind of going beyond personal boundaries, even if it's a class where you know a lot of the people from your neighborhood, you still yeah. have a healthy sense of boundaries and it's just finding your own personal way. Yeah, and I don't really, I wouldn't say I get like deeply involved in, I mean, there's not, there's not really an opportunity to get in a really, really deep conversation, right. um, you know, in a private class, you know, with one student, you would probably get a lot more involved in, in the day-to-day -day life of someone's um, practice, but, you know, in a small group of four or five people who either work together or, you know, practice martial arts together, um, you know, you, you can actually develop a little bit of an intimate group conversation. And I think people need that a little bit more nowadays than we ever used to. We're right. connected, but we're not really having face-to-face -face conversations with no. people as much as we used to. Yeah. And, and I think it's necessary to be able to just kind of, you know, just talk to people face-to-face. Yeah. And what a good space for it. It kind of goes with the theme of everything that you're doing anyway. Yeah. 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 For sure. So um, tell me a little bit about kind of the, the actual kind of academics of teaching. Like you're, you're talking, you mentioned earlier about kind of coming up with a, like a class sequence and kind of studying that and how is it going in terms of like the cues and what you're saying and how is that kind of flowing from you? Um, I'm finding that I need more uh, information, which is uh, how I found you on the web, basically. Oh, nice. <laughs> Was I thought, you know, I need more. I need more data. I need better anatomy cues. Um, that's not something that was 
really very interesting to me to learn the body parts and all the muscles yeah. in a, in my previous, um, you know, paths in life. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important in yoga and I don't think that they cover it enough in a 200 hour training. I think they basically, I don't know, maybe we spent like three hours on anatomy. There's, yeah. no, you know, which is really not enough. Right. Um, so I've planned some time um, in the next couple months to go through your uh, your course, and I have um, been watching the YouTube videos. The shoulder one was really great. Yeah. Um, and watching some of that stuff, and I look forward to um, giving myself time to do those things. I think in our lives we all get very very busy, but my practice now is to spend. Um, you know, 30 minutes a day, you know, learning stuff about yoga. So if I give myself 20 or 30 minutes every day to sit down and watch a video or research something, read an article, pick up any one of a dozen books that are on my table um, and just do it every day. I think it has to be a daily thing. Um, Another thing actually that, um, people I don't maybe they don't have an opportunity to organize this themselves but it's working for me um I went out and met some teachers who have uh, a lot of experience in uh, philosophy or other areas um, or teach different styles than what I've been taught and I'm working with them to develop uh, workshops in our studio for our students um, we just had the first one last weekend. Uh, we did a philosophy and meditation workshop. It, w- it was supposed to be two hours, but it ended up being two and a half almost. That's by the time great. Finished. Yeah. So, you know, all of our teachers went and a bunch of our students went and then everybody sat and learned just a little bit more. So trying to level up the knowledge for the whole studio, not just for myself was kind of mm-hmm. fun. But yeah. it looked the cost of going to workshops is really yeah, yeah. a lot. If you, if you wanted to go to a workshop as a yoga teacher on a regular basis, I mean, you could spend hundreds of dollars every month going to workshops. Yeah, yeah. So no, you, that's definitely, that's definitely uh, true, especially if you're going to think about something beyond just a single workshop, if it's like a training of mm-hmm. multiple days and in a faraway location compared yeah. to where you are or anybody is, there's flights and hotels and all of that. Right. So if we, you know, as our studio grows, I'd like to maybe be known a little bit more for providing that extra um, option and being able to come in and do workshops as part of your membership with us. It, you know, it counts as a class if you have a class pass or uh, whatnot. And um, just trying to get more people uh, to know more about yoga because there's so much that's really interesting to learn and um, maybe it will help people expand their practice from coming to class once a week or twice a week to, you know, practicing more and just having um, an improved general lifestyle all around. So Yeah, especially where you mentioned earlier, you have a lot of uh, police and firefighter and first responders. I think about their nervous system and their general level of stress at a baseline being way high. Exactly. And- meditation and yoga being such a great practice for everyone, especially, especially in, in those kinds of professions. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even do specialty workshops focusing on meditation and yoga for first responders of any profession. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on our to-do list too. Um, just finding the right teacher, I think is, um, 
is important. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly not qualified <laughs> so um, to teach about trauma and, you know, all of the things that those people yeah. would experience. Um, yeah. I think it's someone really special. So, um, yeah, so we're working on those things. But I think, I've, you know, I've got about 10 workshops planned through the new year. Nice. Now, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So, so planned between now and January? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a lady coming to teach um, a vinyasa class and just to, you know, try out all the different styles. Most of our teachers just teach Hatha yoga, which is great. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's try some Kundalini stuff. Let's try everything. Maybe we'll find... Um, as a group, you know, something that we really enjoy, and maybe that teacher should be a regular part of our lives kind of thing. So Right, right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love that. That's great. So that's a little bit about kind of where you see things going. So let's just, for the last piece of this, let's kind of focus on just for yourself. So separate a little bit from kind of where you see the studio going, if mm -hmm. you were to kind of envision for yourself kind of looking out into the future and you're at a place where you're feeling really, well, I'm not going to say how you're feeling, but some, some, at some point in the future, you're, you're kind of on this teaching path and you've, you've kind of moved to a different place. What does that place look like for you? And how are you feeling when you're in that, that place? What is that? What do you, what are you doing? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Mm -hmm. I think I would like to teach more. I think I would like to get to the point where I feel um, maybe that I teach maybe eight or 10 classes a week um, where, you know, yoga is an everyday thing for me. Um, spending, um, you know, the 20 or 30 minutes a day doing yoga research and reading or videos. Um, I would like to expand that to the point where I'm doing, you know, another 30 or 40 minutes of personal practice every day. Um, in addition to teaching, um, you know, more classes, I'd like to get bigger classes and more classes and go forward that way. Yeah. And when you're teaching at this kind of next phase of your teaching career, mm -hmm. what, what do you kind of see yourself? How do you, what's kind of your way of being around teaching? Like you're now you're let's kind of take yourself to a point where, you know, maybe you don't need to do as much studying. Maybe you are that teacher who's walking into the room with no pieces of paper. And I don't know. I don't know. What does it look oh, like? Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. I, that would be actually, <laughs> that's a great goal actually is to be able to walk into the class and say hello to everybody and just kind of work, you know, go with the flow kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's a skill that my husband has after teaching martial arts for so yeah. long. And I asked him that, I said, do you have like a class plan in your head? He said, nope, it just comes out as it is. He said, um, you know, we have a schedule for um, the techniques so that you don't miss a week of techniques ever. But, um, and that's on a seven week rotation, he said, but you know, if it's, if we're doing high kicks or we're doing boxing drills or whatever, he said, the drills just come out of my head. Um, naturally, I don't really have to think about them. Mm. So I think that would be a really, really good goal. And I don't think it's that far away. Um, I think just still being fairly new and just a little bit nervous about losing my words or my train of thought or getting distracted by, you know, things happening in class. I think, 
um, that having a little bit of a plan isn't a terrible idea for a while. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And that's where that, where we were saying in the beginning about the compassion and giving yourself space to grow, that's where mm-hmm. that comes in so that you're kind of giving yourself that acknowledgement that, Hey, I am still new. All of this is, <laughs> is okay. Um, mm-hmm. so one final thing, if you were to kind of take what you just said about, um, you know, kind of working yourself to a point where you just have this well of knowledge, kind of this ability to just go into the room and kind of just teach from experience. What do you think is one thing you can do now to help you get to that point? Like out of all the things you mentioned, what do you think is the most important piece or step or action that you can take that's going to help you get to that point? Um, well, I've already noticed that practice, like, more stuff, like what is it? Yeah. So in my um, class plan creation, I used to, in the beginning, like write down little cues beside, you know, if I put, you know, we're moving into lizard pose, I would, you know, write down um, a few little things to remember to say. So I think a lot of it, um, the getting to the point where you don't need uh, notes and paper is the memorization and the comfort level with explaining the poses. So as we grow through learning, you know, a hundred poses and the cues for a hundred poses, then maybe um, every month you learn two or three more. And now, you know, over time, I think, you know, you're going to learn two, 300 poses probably. Um, so let me, just, let me just stop you there for a sec. Cause this is interesting to me from a learning process, right? Yeah. So you said memorization, mm-hmm. right? So let's say you took trying, you took triangle pose and you had a list of 10 cues that match triangle pose. Right. Is it memorizing those cues or is it something different about those cues where the words come from a different base of knowledge? I think at first it's memorizing the cues and memorizing the location of your body in the poses. Um, After that, I think it becomes a little bit more describing how you're in the pose yourself. If you move into a pose um, and you, you know kind of instinctively where your knee is supposed to be or where your arm is supposed to be. How do you know, how do you, cause like I could take a five-year-old and say, here's triangle pose and here's a list of words to say. If that five-year-old says those words, do they know, are they knowing why they're out? Right. So that's what I'm (laughs) trying to get to. I don't want to lead you. I I kind of know where you're going, but I want you to kind of, and I don't necessarily know that where I think, I want you to go is where you want to go. So I'm trying to kind of figure out, because this is always fascinating to me because I I truly believe that the cues are the vehicle to so many things for teachers. Mm -hmm. And I know that the modality of training teachers for the most part is, here's a bunch of shapes. Here's what you say for each shape. And so Mm -hmm. teachers come out of training with, in their heads, a bunch of shapes and a bunch of words that go with the shapes. And my contention is that's not good enough because that's not getting them to the point where they have unconscious incompetence or unconscious competence. It's just getting them where exactly what you said, memorization. So what I'm trying to figure out is what 
fills the, what do we need to fill the gap so that we're moving from memorizing to conscious competence or unconscious oh. competence? <laughs> I think that's a huge part of where you're at with your training with the anatomy. Right. That's what I, that's what I think too. And not because it's me, any teacher that focuses. I, I think knowing your body, knowing your body parts and knowing how those, um, how the muscles and how your bones work throughout each pose um, gives you a much deeper understanding of why you want your knee to be over your ankle or yeah. why you want your, you know, hips to be level or um, I think that greater knowledge is really the key to um, a comfort level and understanding what the pose purpose even is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have the freedom to, when you were saying earlier about, I don't know, some particular posture where you decided to kind of move them out of it or it like you always have that well of knowledge. So it doesn't really matter who the person is or what the exact shape is. You're always drawing on that knowledge base. That's kind of the foundation. And then the shape is almost kind of overlaid on that, but it could be hundreds of shapes, hundreds of yeah. bodies, yeah. lots of different ways to express it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of ways to get into a posture as well. Um, there's not necessarily, you know, in our pose manual that we got in our course outline, um, you know, there's four or five or seven cues with each one. But are those the ones that work for you? Yeah, and they come, you know, is the wording what works for you and finding your own groove and how you cue poses and what you say and even um you know like what are all the poses supposed to do like why do we do them in what's this the point way? of it what's yeah. the point of it you right. know what is yeah. it helping what is it working on um those are things that they don't really touch on in the yoga teacher training so i think right. you have to find your own knowledge base into you know um why those poses are really good I did find one really interesting thing, though, in doing the uh, yamas and niyamas uh, portion of our training. Each of those sections is associated with certain poses. And I, what I found super interesting was the, the parts of the yamas and niyamas that I had worked through personally previous to taking the training um, I really loved those poses and in the parts where I knew I needed to work on more, I was not as comfortable in those poses. Yeah, that's kind of like and, an interesting parallel. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, finding poses that if I then was looking at people who are students and, you know, kind of chuckling to myself about why they liked certain poses and why they didn't like other poses. And I thought it was kind of funny if you relate someone's personality quirks to yeah. those poses that are associated with the yamas and the yamas. I think it was uh, an interesting um, way to um, kind of know something about someone without them telling you anything about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And those are all great kind of spiritual themes to bring into your teaching. There's like mm -hmm. the anatomical themes, but you know, all of that, the yamas and the niyamas and all of that, the eight limbs, it's all just great fodder for different themes you can bring in. And I'm sure you're, you know, already starting to do that, especially when yeah. there's interest in training. It's like, oh, this is something that resonates with me. I can share this in the middle exactly. of all the alignment cues I'm giving. Well, yeah. And sometimes the alignment cues aren't, 
aren't helping exactly, um, you know, to get people to relax. If you've got yeah. some high stressed out people in your class, they don't want to hear so much about where their knee is supposed to be over the toes, you know, like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter to them. That's not something they're going to be able to focus on. So yeah. being able to have other avenues to direct um, postures and to be able to say, you know, you're going to relax here and you're going to feel tension here. You shouldn't feel any pain or discomfort here. If you do, you need to, you know, back out of something, you know, and helping people find the po the pose posture that is theirs. Because you can have 10 or 15 people in a class and not everyone is going to look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And it's okay yeah. to be different. You know, it's, it's okay. If your hamstrings are tight, you are not going to have, you know, the beautiful forward fold that someone else does when they don't have tight hamstrings. So, you know, don't be surprised if your chest is not right on your thighs. <laughs> because you said that's, yeah, the, there's no magic in that either, right? So, no, no, yeah. and there's no point in forcing it either. You know, it's going to come naturally through practice sometime and you'll get there eventually. But, you know, it might not take you two classes, it might take you 30 or 40 tries to get a little closer. But, right. Um, well, Joanna, I have just loved this conversation. I really, I got to tell you, you have such great insight. Um, for a newer teacher, you've just got this great, I think being in the teaching environment um, anyway, as part of your, your, your job and, and the studio um, has definitely kind of rubbed off on you. Like you just have this really kind of <laughs> confident and easygoing towards yourself, which is such a great attitude to have for teaching. So I really, really want to thank you for for being on the on the podcast and sharing this. This has been just a lot of just really good, interesting teaching conversation. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I appreciate your time too. And I look forward to um, maybe getting another chance to chat with you again. Yeah, absolutely. And I will send you the link to this episode so you can have your husband listen to it too. Say, honey, I'm on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> listen to my teaching wisdom. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, have a wonderful week. Thank you so much. And I will definitely talk to you soon. Sounds good, Karen. Thank you. Okay. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.